0: The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. Wait, I think it's chapter 1, actually. Yeah, 3 is coming later. Um, Chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Hear the word of the Lord. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. But he had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, one of my questions for us this morning as we come around this text, And in a way, this text is a little bit of this kind of theme of the spin-off series because we hear from Joseph in these early narratives, but then we lose him later on, right? We don't always track what's going on with Joseph. So he is one of those folks who kind of speaks a little bit from the sidelines. And yet when we have that opportunity to hear him, we really get to dive in and listen to his story. And so this text that highlights Joseph for us today asks us a few questions. And I want to ask you some of these questions and see if these might resonate with you in your Advent season. What is it that we do? What do we do when what is before us just feels like too much? It just feels like too much. And what do we do when the future that appears before us seems to sort of fly in the face or be somehow disconnected from the past that we thought that we understood so well and that we have grown to love. What do we do when we are faced with what feels like impossible choices, And that the only way that often that we know how to manage these impossible choices that we sometimes face is that we feel like the best thing to do is to perhaps just dismiss them quietly. What do we do when all of these issues are sort of right in the middle of our path? Well, these are some of the questions that Joseph faces in his story today. These are some of the questions that he had to wrestle with before all of the answers began to emerge. Because keep in mind that Joseph was there before even the birth of Jesus. So he had no way of knowing how history was going to unfold from this point. He had no way of knowing how the wisdom and, of history and tradition would come together to piece things uh, for him in a way in which he could understand and in the moment that he's in, in this moment that he's living in, he finds himself to be in one, what one might consider to be an impossible situation. It's just impossible. His faith is on the line. His understanding of God is on the line. I mean, I think that that's one of the things that we really need to immerse ourselves when we consider the story of Joseph is that he has been steeped In this wisdom and tradition of the Jewish faith. And and it is his lifeline. And now all of a sudden he's facing a future where that lifeline of the past no longer seems to make a direct connection. He does not understand this world in which God might be calling him to do something that pushes him to his limits. And everything that happens in this situation with Joseph, in a sense, sort of pushes him to his limits. And what I want to explore a little bit today is that just like other times in Scripture, when we are at our limits, we tend to get a picture of God. We tend to see God. We tend to hear God speak. And also, when we are at our limits we tend not to recognize the voice of God that is speaking to us. That's just something that happens over and over again in Scripture. So let's take a little bit of a closer look at Joseph. To be clear, it was Joseph's religious duty to dismiss Mary. It was his religious duty to dismiss her. It was not just his own personal resistance, it was his observance of his faith. The very appearance of Mary as a person with child puts Joseph in a very deep moral dilemma. And the text is clear. The narrator here gives Joseph the benefit of the doubt all the way through the story The text is clear that Joseph is kind and that it is his kindness, his righteousness is what the text calls it, that puts him in what seems to be like the best choice possible to dismiss Mary quietly. It's the best choice that he can come up with while holding all of the pieces of what he understands about the world together. And what is amazing about this text, when we consider Joseph's story, is that what we end up seeing is that God is pushing Joseph not only into kindness, but into something else that is in fact beyond it. God is actually pushing Joseph to do something that is the unthinkable, which is to take Mary, to take this woman, to marry her, And to raise this child as his own. And sometimes it seems like in these situations that faith calls us beyond kindness. Not to a place of unkindness, but to something that is even deeper and more costly than kindness itself. Something that actually strikes a little bit of fear in the heart of us. And you can imagine that Joseph was filled with some form or some element of fear as he thought about what it was that were the choices before him. And so I've been thinking about what it feels like to be afraid and how it is that we navigate those spaces of fear when we're in them. Because fear is not something that's rational. It's normal, it's human, In no way do I mean to say that there's something wrong with being afraid. We all face fears and we all move into times that are actually really, really scary. But fear pushes us to this point where being rational doesn't quite help. You know, it's like when people could say, Oh, don't worry, everything's going to be fine, such and such and such and such and so and so. And you can hear that, but somehow deep inside that doesn't actually make you feel better. Because fear has pushed you into this place that is beyond. It pushes us into places where the rational mind cannot go. And so if you think about the rational side of this story all the pieces are actually there. It's quite possible that Joseph could have sat down with his local rabbi, knowing that he was part of some sort of community, because I'm sure that he was, and he could have asked a question about the particular situation that he was in. He could have figured out a way to come at it from a rational perspective, and perhaps Should the rabbi or should the teacher, the teaching partner, have been in sort of a rational and cognitive mode, that individual could have scanned the scriptures and actually produced for Joseph the text that we get for us today in this Matthew version, which is exactly coming from the text that Joseph knew so well. It comes right out of Isaiah, right? So it's not like anybody's making things up. Here this actually is in the story. And so the rabbi, the hypothetical rabbi, could have said, look, this this story is actually in the scriptures. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14. And should that rational story have played out, it would have been available for everyone to reflect on, should anybody had had the rational sort of bandwidth to navigate through that space. So all of the pieces of the puzzle were there. But what I want to suggest for us today is that when we are in times of fear, we tend not to look for the wonder and the hope that actually exists within our tradition. We tend to forget about all those things and instead we tend to clamp down on what we know best which by the way what all of us know best including myself is just one part of this story right none of us in here or at least i'm going to ex- i'm going to take a guess that none of us has the whole bible memorized right i don't i spent a lot of time with this book in my life and i still don't have the whole thing memorized There's still things that are new, right? So none of us have the whole tradition kind of tied up and in our minds at all times. And when we are in times of fear, we tend not to be able to have the courage to look at the wonder and the hope of our tradition, and instead, we tend to clamp down on what we know best. I do the same thing. But this is so interesting because as people of faith, we are faced with situations of fear all the time. As a matter of fact... Faith, actually, if we look at our tradition, faith seems to come to life in times of fear. It's when it kind of comes the most alive. It's when we notice it. So if you think back and you think about the story of Abraham and how he was in this moment of fear, needing to leave his home country and travel on this road that God had asked him to do, or you think of Moses, who was turned away by his family and then had to leave and exit into the desert and then comes through his fear to this moment of encountering the burning bush. The stories go on and on and on to where our fears push us to deep encounter, just to name a few. Moses, Ezra, Nehemiah, and then of course the story of Esther, where it's the fear of what the king is going to do to her people that pushes her into this place where she makes a risk, where she takes a risk that she wouldn't have otherwise. Ruth, Elizabeth, Mary, we talked about these stories last week, all of these folks who are people of faith exist within a story where there are deep fears that are around them, and it is their faith that has the ability to come to life in the face of those fears, each person, as we think of through scripture, through the text that I drew, the, through the examples that I just mentioned, each person is faced with their own limits and their own understandings about God and their own anticipations about how God will act or how God will redeem or who God will speak to or who God won't speak to, and all of those folks have to sort of step into a place where everything becomes unknown again in order for them to encounter the living God. They come to those moments of discovery because they are illustrating that we actually find faith through facing our fears. We see something new about who God is. Faith has the capacity to tell its story because in moments that we've seen it, it illustrates that it is bigger than fear. It is bigger than fear. And so, we've talked about how all of the cognitive and rational pieces were a part of the Joseph story, But how does Joseph actually hear the voice of God? Not through the cognitive, rational side, right? He hears him through a dream. And it's not because all the pieces weren't in place. It's because when we're afraid, we need something that matches our fear in this place of sort of wild possibility. So he hears him through a dream. It comes as the messenger of the Lord letting him know that, in fact, his tradition is behind him, that the text is more complex than it seems, and that, although the angel doesn't say this, in stating that there is the verse in Isaiah, what the angel also affirms is that, yes, Joseph, we know that you know about the text in Deuteronomy, which you are following, to not support this woman in any way. But don't forget, there's not just Deuteronomy, there's Isaiah. And so the invitation is for Joseph not to leave his tradition behind, but in fact, to figure out how to take it boldly into the future. To take it to a place that he thought he, in fact, could not take it before. To take it to a place where he moves beyond kindness and he doesn't dismiss Mary. In fact, he moves into this radical courage where he decides to marry her and raise the child as his own. And of course he was afraid to do this. If we don't have compassion on Joseph's choice, then I think we're not quite being honest with ourselves about how hard it is for us to face our own fears. It is really hard. And we need so many different pieces in order to be able to navigate our way through them. We need messengers to help us. We need things that are cognitive and then we need things that are fantastical. We need to be sort of hearing it from all different sides of what it it means to be human in order to figure out how to move from simple kindness into radical courage. And the good news is that God speaks. God speaks to Joseph. God speaks to us. God speaks to all the people in all of the different ways. And in this speaking, God stabilizes us and helps us to see that we aren't moving into a crazy new location. In fact, maybe some of us, the suspicions or some of the callings or some of the things that we're feeling stirred up to do are actually in the tradition. We just have not yet been able to see them. And so... In doing that, we have the opportunity to come to a deeper trust of our own sacred texts and how deeply we need that in our context today to be able to boldly look within our culture and say, we're not going to just dismiss the Bible as something which doesn't have a voice Within the world that we're navigating. In fact, its voice is more bold and courageous than we have dared to believe before. Right? And that's the promise of our text today. That's part of the story of Joseph. I want to finish by talking about that one verse in Isaiah. They shall name him Emmanuel which means God with us. You know, we're going to keep hearing that text. It's such an important part of our story. We see that language in and around all through the Christmas season, Emmanuel. And I'm fascinated. I looked this text up today, as I often do when I'm getting ready to preach, and looked up the word that's used um, not just for Emmanuel, but the connection, the preposition that links these two items god and us because it's god with us right the preposition is in the middle with with and one of the things that i learned is that that with preposition is has a slightly deeper meaning than we have, know and experience it here in our english language it's not just an addition so for example I can be in the same room with these stars that are above me. They can be with me in the same room, right? But my presence with these stars or with anything within this building doesn't imply that there is a change in me because we have been in the same place. It simply notes that we are together. Well, the with that's used in this context is different. It implies that once the interaction has happened, once the partnering, the joining has come together, that there is a change that will happen so that you can never go back to the previous set before you have been joined, right? It implies that both parties have been changed for the future. And so when we say that God is with us, we are not saying that God is in the same room with us like we can be in the same room with our refrigerator, right? That's too deficient. It's an anemic way of looking at it. When we are saying that God is with us, we are saying that there is a joining together that results in a different way of being after that joining has happened. There is a radical shift. And so when Joseph hears this word God with us, is he going to understand all that? Maybe, maybe not. But as he moves into this promise, he will begin to experience it. And then pass on the witness that we can experience today that God is with us, with us. And it's been there from the very beginning. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the story of Joseph. We thank you that you illuminated his tradition and also gave him the courage to move through his fear. We ask that you would do the same with us in every part of our life. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Friends, let us stand.